Hey, it's Mastin. Welcome to the Mastin Kid Podcast. If you want to take your first step uh, on your trauma-informed journey, come to claimyourpowerbook.com and get my book, Claim Your Power. There are uh, a bunch of awesome free bonuses with that, including a 40-day coaching journey with me that will get you started on your trauma-informed path. Claimyourpowerbook.com. Enjoy. It's awesome. I put my heart and soul into it. And if you want to really start your journey to do your trauma work, claimyourpowerbook.com is the place to go to get my book, claim your power, and to get a bunch of free bonuses, including free coaching with me for 40 days. Please enjoy today's episode. You are listening to the Power and Purpose podcast with Mastin Kip. Today we have highlights from a recent conversation with Mastin, New York Times bestselling author Marianne Williamson. Topics covered include, but are not limited to, medicalized human despair the idea of suffering versus pain, the purpose of pain, how to step out of the fault and blame cycle, cultivating health and happiness, and more. For access to the entire interview in both video and audio format, visit mastinkip.com forward slash two. Hello and welcome to the Power and Purpose podcast, you guys. I'm here with a woman who really needs no introduction. We are here with the one and only Marianne Williams. And Marianne, thank you so much for being here today with us. Thank you so much for having me, Mastin. And I just want to say, you know, uh, we're going to talk a lot about this book, Tears uh, to Triumph, but um, I just want to be one of the first to announce and congratulate you on this becoming a New York Times bestseller. This is fantastic. Very exciting. And um, anyway, so that that's just amazing to see and to, you know, it's like another one. It's kind of like <laughs> this message is so necessary today. So I'd like to kind of dive right in and we could talk about this book and we can also talk about you know, how the message from Tears of Triumph really relates to the idea of living a life's purpose, because that's really a question that we get asked so much. That's why we decided to start the podcast. But first, you know, before we talk about purpose, you know, one of the, the, the themes in this book that really inspired me, lit me up, cr- created a sense of really curiosity was this idea that we live inside a culture of depression, you know, because when I think about coaching people, or, you know, someone attends a workshop, like they come to your workshop, you know, they, they, they leave and they're inspired, but then they go home or they go out even to the airport and it's like, if you're happy, something's kind of wrong with you. <laughs> so can you kind of tell me a little bit about, A, what was your inspiration behind writing this book? And then B, I'd like to dive in a little bit more around the idea of culture of depression and really unpack that. Well, I've certainly been through my own dark nights of the soul. And because I do my best to contextualize my experience spiritually, I've never seen my periods of depression, and they have been periods of depression, as something having gone wrong Mm. so much as a season of life. There is winter, but winter has its own exquisite beauty, and it's always followed by spring. And I've been aware that suffering is a major, core, fundamental theme in all the great religious and spiritual traditions. Buddha's journey to enlightenment began when he realized that life, as he said, life is suffering. God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites when they were suffering as slaves under Pharaoh. And of course, Jesus suffered on the cross. So as someone who has seen universal spiritual themes as my own personal beacon, I have never seen suffering as outside the context of what I needed to go through at times in order to learn the lessons I needed to learn as part of my own journey to self-actualization. 
Buddha realized life was suffering and then went through some really tough times on his way to enlightenment under the Bodhi tree as Mara, you know, the God of illusion tempted him. And the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. And Jesus, there were those three days between the crucifixion and the resurrection. What we have done in our society, though, is medicalized human despair. Mm -hmm. So we've put this medical model onto deep sadness when, in fact, heartbreak did not just begin. And I think that the, 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 you know, humanity would not have evolved over hundreds of thousands of years, Mastin, were we not imbued with the capacity to take a hit. Yes. In the body, it's the immune system that enables us, the body, to absorb quite a bit of injury and disease. And if you have a compromised immune system, you're in big trouble. Yes. Psyche has an immune system as well. That's what grief is. The psyche can absorb a lot of heartbreak. Yes. The psyche can absorb a, lo- a hit as well. It's not just what people can go through physically. It's unbelievable the things that people can take yes. and grow wiser from. But what we have done is, in our society, taken what I think should be considered a normal spectrum of human despair. Uh, you went through a difficult uh, breakup or a divorce or someone that you love died, or your business failed, or you went bankrupt, or, you know, these things happen, Mastin. They are part of life. And you don't have to see this, the fact that you hurt over those things as a disorder, you know? Right, yes. Now, I mean, I'm not saying that they're not extreme, extreme, extreme situations where, and, and certainly serious mental illnesses where psychotherapeutic drugs are a legitimate conversation, schizophrenia and so forth. But what we have today in our society is this unbelievable, not only over-medication of Americans, but specifically the over-prescription of antidepressants, including more than antidepressants, even antipsychotic drugs like Abilify, for instance, is, a, is, a, is an antipsychotic drug given to people who are, not, who are not mentally ill and have not even been diagnosed as seriously mental ill and then often, often are given these pills by doctors whose job is not that anyway. You know, somebody yes. says to me, um, on, on Twitter the other day, somebody said, well, Marianne Williamson is talking outside her knowledge base. And I said, no, doctors who prescribe antidepressants to someone going through an emotional crisis, they're talking outside there. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. And the thing is, how can we look, if, if we do look at the dark nights of the soul, as St. John of the Cross said, it's a spiritual crisis. It is a spiritual crisis because what we are living in on the planet and certainly in our culture at this time, is a a world that repudiates the truth of who we are. It repudiates our oneness. Every single day, we are constantly bombarded by input that repudiates the truth in our hearts, the love in our hearts, our desire for connection, our, our sense of who we really are and how valuable we are as creatures of the universe and our oneness with the universe and our oneness with each other and, and our purpose is here to build community and collaborate and not compete and relate and not transact. Who could not be depressed? Then you add to that if, if we don't deal with the, with the environment, the whole ecosystem could implode within 20 years. ISIL is out of control. And, I mean, if, if you're looking at the state of the world today and you're not depressed, I wonder if you're looking. Right. But if you're not rejoicing in the infinite possibilities for transformation, you are spiritually uninformed. Yes. So this is all a spiritual thing. So how can we look to a corner of the society that doesn't even factor spirit into their calculations to solve a problem that is is spiritual in nature. 
Yeah. I mean, what's amazing about what you just said too, I mean, there's so much about what you just said that I have like a million questions. Um, but one thing I want to point out, which I, I love because, you know, as a coach and someone who helps people in crisis, you know, and I know that you have dealt with people who've, you know, been the gamut, trauma, abuse, addiction, you name it. Um, you know, there's this idea that when you're on the spiritual path, you know, it's like all is well. Um, I'm never going to be hurt. Uh, and that, you know, it's kind of all butterflies and white light, you know. And what I really love about what you're saying is it's like, hey, guys, like we need to actually change our expectation. And it sounds like I want to kind of get down to the idea of suffering versus pain because um, I feel like I feel like I want to understand a little bit more about what you mean by suffering. Do you mean suffering in terms of like there's pain in life or suffering because I'm imagining if I'm Buddha um, or if I'm someone who's on the way to growing, that if I start to know that life, there's a, an elemental part of life that is suffering, it, it doesn't necessarily remove the pain, but it sort of lessens it and maybe even per, even better gives something meaning. Because if you're, if, you're, if you're in pain and there's no meaning to it, I think that's when there's you kind of run down the road of you know hopelessness and despair and all that type of stuff. But if there's a, a, a it sounds like what you're really saying is, hey guys, like first of all, it's not just all affirmations and green juice. Like we have like there's pain here. Like so, change your expectation. But the deeper truth of what you're saying is there's actually a purpose to this pain. And so I was wondering if you can tell me a little bit about is that sort of what you're saying? Because that's what I'm hearing you say. A lot of what you're saying, yes. There's a quote in the book from Frederick Nietzsche, and Nietzsche said. To live is to suffer. To survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. Yes. Well, we live in a world where the, as soon as we're in pain, the question is, how do I get rid of this? Including these days, how do I numb it pharmaceutically yes. and otherwise? How do I distract myself from it? Which is just treating the symptom. Psychic pain is like physical pain. It conveys a message. You can't just take morphine if you have a broken leg. You have to reset the thinking, reset yes. the bone. And if you have psychic pain, we have to reset the thinking, which causes that causes the pain. So the, the first question is not how do I get rid of this pain, but what is the meaning? What it, what wisdom am I being called to? Let's say you are in a heartbreak, a divorce, a breakup. Okay. Well, probably if you're like most of us, uh, for the first few months, it's all about your analysis of what the other person did wrong. And yes. you need a lot of people around you to, uh, to, to, to join with you in the belief that he or she, you know, is narcissistic or avoidant or addictive or whatever fancy jargon we come up with. All of which is true, but still the ego uses as a barrier to the real brain. Yes. Right? Yes. So then finally, you have enough of a breakthrough to come to understand what your part was in the relationship. And it's very painful. It's very painful to see how you self-sabotaged. It's very painful to see, if only I hadn't done this, if only I had done that. Wow, I wasn't as loving as I could have been. I wasn't as forgiving as I could have been. I wasn't as responsible as I could have been. I took that person for granted. I can see where I was critical or whatever. We, whether you call it pain or suffering, you are suffering, you are in pain looking at these things. But if you see it in the context of this is how I'm going to become wiser. Yes. I'm going to learn this so that I'm committed. I'm going to change. And next time I'm out there and next time I have an opportunity to love, I'm going to be grateful for it. I'm going to be gentler. I'm going to be more responsible. I am going to be different. That's the value of these situations is self-actualization. Yes. Self-actualization, whether you call it enlightenment, the promised land, nirvana, resurrection, inner peace. It's all the same thing, that this is a journey 
And the suffering is enduring that situation, which is the open wound, the gap Mm. between how life could be if all we did was love each other and how many times we don't because we've all been trained to think without love. You've been listening to a conversation with Mastin Kip and New York Times bestselling author Marianne Williamson. For access to the entire interview in both audio and video format, visit mastinkip.com forward slash two. Or in the case, let's say, of someone that you love died. I've lost both my parents. I've lost my best friend. I've lost my sister. You know what it's taught me? And and by the way, Mass, and you get old enough, you know, you start losing the people in your life. I have now, as someone who has, has had as many people as I love who have died, I have a visceral, not just an intellectual, but a visceral understanding. This ride does not last forever. Yes. Physical incarnation is a temporary ride. Suck the juice out of it. Yes. With relationships for granted, the fact that you know somebody today may or may not mean that they're going to be there tomorrow. And so all of the things that we go through that are sorrowful, if they do lead us to be wiser and more self-actualized people, we end up even looking back at those times and knowing if that's what I had to go through to learn that lesson, at least I can be grateful that the lesson was learned. Yes. I mean, what I, one of the things I love that you said here is that you have that visceral understanding of this idea that we live in this corporal body and that this doesn't last forever. You know, one of the things that, one of the distinctions that I've sort of made as I've sort of paid attention to, you know, what, what does it take for someone? Because, you know, there are some people, I know you've met a lot of these people who they'll date the same person in different shoes or they'll go through the same, you know, problem like a hundred thousand times. And like, you know, it, then they get the lesson. And I've sort of made this distinction that there's sort of people who are in victimization, which is different than being victimized. You know, something awful happens to you, you're, you're victimized. But if you're still identifying with it, you know, years later, then you've played a role in that part. So you talk a lot about that. How do you get someone to like get step out of victimization and to recognize that, you know, they, they, maybe they had a part in it, not so much in what happened to them, but how they responded. Because it seems like, you know, part of this culture of depression is one of the, one of the, the correlating behaviors is it's not my fault. It's their fault. Yeah. And this is in politics. This is in relationships. This is like, you know, it's like th- this blame cycle seems to really be fueling this thing that you're talking about. And, wh- and how do you, how does someone step out of that? Well, first of all, we have learned that that sickness is the absence of health. Health isn't the absence of sickness. You can't just trash your body and then if, if sickness comes, hope to eradicate the symptoms. You have to proactively cultivate health. Yes. You need to take the same integrative model and apply it to our psyche. You can't just fight depression. We have to co- proactively cultivate happiness. So this is the deal. I can't see myself as a victim and be happy. Yes. I can't blame you for my circumstances and be happy. I can't fail to take ownership of my mistakes, atone for them, and try to do better and be happy. Yes. Blame the world for my problems and be happy. Now, it's not that you try to get someone. I don't believe in trying to get anybody to anything. But we can have this conversation, and people who are ready to hear it will hear it. That's right. If I I focus on what you, quote, unquote, did to me, the way the mind operates is if I focus on that, then I am dooming myself to emotionally being at the effect of what you did to me. You know, the spiritual principle here is that we are 100% responsible 
for our experience of our experience. You know, yes. somebody was saying to me, uh, I, I got a, an email from a woman the other day, and I hear this a lot. And it was about, she had a 25-year uh, marriage. Uh, she thought it was a very happy marriage. And then her husband cheated on her. She said with a woman who was the age of their daughter, and he had gone out four or five times with this woman, and now he had asked for forgiveness. He was trying to do better. And she said, it's been two and a half years, and she can't get over it. And I said to her, and I, I, you know, I, I had to tell my truth. And then I was glad because she later wrote me and thanked me. I said, mm. I see more marriages break up because of someone who cannot forgive the infidelity. than I see marriages break up because of the infidelity. Mm. At a certain point, you have to decide. She said, I'm trying to forgive him. At a certain point, it is, it, it, it is for her to decide. Yes. If she keeps her mental focus on what he did, then, then at that point, she is conspiring. Now, you know, we can all say he did it first, and that is not to minimize the transgression. But it is to say that we ourselves are then responsible for where we put somebody else's transgression within the landscape of our psychic understanding of what happened. Yes. We are, and that's really, and there's so much of that in the book. That's why there's a whole chapter on forgiveness. That's why there's a whole chapter on relationships, because we are 100% responsible for our experience. And like you said, we've developed this victim mentality. Yes. I can't have this happen in my life because they won't let me or they did that to me. You hold on to that. Not only can you not be happy, but unhappiness or depression is the absence of happiness. So then what are you going to do? You're going to take an antidepressant or something to numb yourself because, oh, I'm deprived. Totally. Prescribed yeah. like I have a depressive disorder. You know, these days, everybody says they have an anxiety disorder. Well, that's convenient. First of all, who doesn't? <laughs> so if, if, you look, if you look, you know, I tell you what happened to me once when I was in, it was in college. It was many, many years ago. And I was living in California. It was in 1970 something. And there was an earthquake. And I was living in, in the dorm. And so, you know, this earthquake happened and we all ran outside into the hall. And there was this one girl who started yelling. She stayed in her room and yelling, help me, somebody help me, somebody help me. We all started laughing. What did she, did she think she was the only one who'd been through this? <laughs> totally. <laughs> we, us help too. us. <laughs> so, so, you know, this whole idea of I'm going, this, this is another issue, Mastin. I think that the dominant psychotherapeutic model the one that has really prevailed within the last hundred years, it focuses on the individual sufferer. And sometimes this goes back to the culture of depression issue. A lot of times we're suffering over the same things that everybody else is suffering over. And if I think it's only about my pain, I will not be as likely to join with you in changing the situations that are causing everybody uh, to be sorrowful. What, where would we be today if the abolitionists had not been upset? Where totally. would we be today if the abolitionists had just taken something to take the edge off? <laughs> totally. Can you imagine today, someone would be saying to Susan B. Anthony, girl, wherever you go, you create such drama. Yeah. Just take a Xanax. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, I think that's really um, so true. And I want to circle back to something that you said just to get a little clarification because I can, I'm imagining someone who's been through you know, a sexual abuse or trauma or physical abuse. And let's say that they haven't gotten to a place where they're ready to sort of step in. And, right. and I, what I would imagine them hearing is, well, you know, um, forgive them. Like if I forget, A, if I forgive them, I've justified what they did to me. And B, like how am I responsible for what they did to me? 
right? And so before you answer, I want to say something and, and bring up something that you, I saw you say once at one of your uh, lectures in Los Angeles. I'll never forget. I'll, this is like imbued in my mind. You may not remember, but I, I, I can, I, it's, it's like in my brain. So someone raised their hand and she, she was, she, you called on her and she was very sort of distraught that A Course in Miracles wasn't working. And she said, I've been working the course and it's just not working. And you said, dear, like, well, what's your problem? What's going on? Well, my mother passed away and you were very empathetic with that. And you said, well, how long has it been, sweetie? And she said, three days. And there is this, like the whole room, like obviously saw the blind spot, but when you're in it, it's really hard to see it. So what, I, what, what, what you coached her through is this idea that like there's a natural grief process too. So where is that line between like grieving and healing and then like I'm now a victim because if I've been sexually abused or if I've been a Marine in battle and I have trauma, battle trauma, whatever it might be, like there, there has to be a natural <clears throat> emotional healing process. But where does that turn into like spiritual bypass? So as I said before, the, the body has an immune system and so does the psyche. And the grief mechanism is an aspect of that. So if you're in a car accident, your body is bruised. It is understood. It's going to take a while. You have to be really gentle with your body because it's going to take a while for these bruises to heal. The same with the psyche. It's going to take a while. That's the symbolism of the 40 years that the Israelites spent in the desert. It's the symbolism of the the hours on the cross and the three days between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Those time periods symbolize the time it takes for the material condition to change in response to the, to the, to the mental and emotional realization of the light that lies beyond. So the book is all about giving ourselves permission to grieve. That's the point. A pharmaceutical bypass is no better than a spiritual bypass. Yep. And and so the idea here is to give ourselves permission. Now, the only victims really are children. And yes. so if you sexually abused as a child, there is a period of grief is absolutely appropriate. And one of the things I talk about in the book is how it seems to me when I was a child, we societally gave ourselves and each other greater permission to grieve. It was understood somebody's husband or wife had died. They wouldn't be themselves for a year mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, I heard recently some girl was saying that um, she got a letter from work that said uh, her father had just died, and the letter she got or the email or whatever was, we're so sorry to hear about your father's passing. We hope you will take as much time as you need. And the letter ended with, of course, we hope you'll be back by Monday. Thank you for listening to the Power and Purpose podcast with Mastin Kip. Today's presentation was highlights from a recent conversation with Mastin and Marianne Williamson. If you'd like access to the entire interview in both audio and video format, visit mastinkip.com forward slash two. We have a lot more great content to help you learn to live your power and purpose here on the podcast. Subscribe to the show and make sure you get every episode as soon as it is released. Visit mastinkip.com forward slash subscribe for more. Between now and our next episode, live your purpose. Hey, it's Mastin. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. And before we wrap up, if you found value in this, one of the best ways to get this trauma-informed information to the world 
if that's something that you want to do and to be a part of spreading the word, I would be so very grateful if you could leave a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts so that uh, you can review this and hopefully it's a good review, but please leave an honest review. And especially if you want to leave a five-star review, I would be super stoked on that. But of course, just make it honest. But my goal is to share more trauma-informed information with the world. And I need your help to spread this information and reviews matter. So if you feel called to do that, would very much appreciate it. If you got value from this episode and from this podcast, we very much appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for hearing me out. And if you feel called, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify, and we'll see you in the next episode.